Welcome to the Wild Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Edge, and today we're talking about strategies to stop overthinking. Thank you for joining me again today. I'm so grateful to everyone who listened to my first episode, The Art of Letting Go. I received a lot of encouraging feedback, and I'm really excited to be back this week to discuss more thoughts from my own wild heart. This podcast is about discussing strong emotions and how to cope with them. As a highly sensitive person myself, I understand how overwhelming life can feel. Emotions are stronger and deeper for some people, and navigating them is not always intuitive. It can literally feel like an emotional wilderness. My hope is to inspire you from one sensitive person to another to embrace your feelings and work through them with confidence. Today, we're going to discuss strategies to stop overthinking. Before we get too far into our content, I want to put out there that I am just speaking as someone who is experiencing all of these things and learning them for herself. None of this is intended to be taken as professional advice and is purely for inspiration and conversational purposes. So in light of the current events, our family has had a lot of downtime lately. And of course, this means I've also had a lot of time to overthink. I've come to the conclusion that there is a sweet spot when it comes to thinking. If I have too little downtime to go off to myself and think about all the things that have happened every day, I will feel really overwhelmed and overstimulated. If I get too much alone time, too much time with my own thoughts, I will begin overthinking. Today, we're going to define overthinking as that downward spiral of thought that leads to a distorted reality. It's where we either overanalyze the past until it's no longer a recognizable event. If you are someone who overthinks, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of replaying an event over and over in your mind, trying to overanalyze everything that was said and done, individuals' intentions, the lasting implications, It's very unproductive. Overthinking also lead to an intense worrying about the future and an assumption that things that haven't happened yet are going to. Getting the right amount of thinking into our day definitely takes a little skill, especially for highly sensitive individuals. When you absorb so much information from the people, places, and things you interact with each day, it's really important to make sure you get the appropriate amount of time to process that. However, learning a few skills to stop overthinking can help us all put in place those emotional boundaries between our sense of peace and well-being and our need to process and think about the things that are happening. So the first thing that we need to do is recognize our own tipping points. I find that my capacity varies from day to day, but I've become familiar with what my thoughts tend to be right before I would fall down a spiral of overthinking. So they usually start to become very personally targeted. And I start thinking things like, they don't like me, or I'm so embarrassing. Other cues could be thoughts about everyone. So everyone is happier than I am. 
everyone fits in better than I do. And of course, these things are not true. We are all just people on our journey. We are all normal amounts of embarrassing. Nobody is going to like us 100% of the time. There is not some club that everyone in the universe besides us is invited to. These are all distorted realities. When I see these patterns in myself, I know that I need to get out of my own head and keep myself from overthinking. So once we recognize this tipping point, how do we cope? What do we do if we've already gone down this spiral of overthinking and we need to get back from it? In this situation, there's definitely a temptation to go straight for a distraction. I think it's important to point out that distractions can only carry us so far in this situation. Certainly, there are times where a distraction is sufficient, but I think it's very beneficial to focus on creating a toolbox of coping skills to help pull us away from that toxic cycle and redirect our minds on a more positive and productive line of thought. So I really like to do this by bringing both my mind and my body into the present. One way that I like to do this is through blasting music and cleaning my house. I really enjoy having a clean house. I find that I'm just more relaxed when my environment is clean. I'm not always perfect at it, but it is something that I strive to to maintain. And so this physical act of moving my body and organizing my environment, it brings me into a very real-time mode of thought. I'm thinking about what I'm seeing. I'm thinking about where things go, how to organize it. I'm very in tune with my physical world and my physical now. The music occupies my mind. It keeps me from filling it with other words because I'm thinking about the words from the song. And singing will just take it to another level where I'm even more physically involved with what's happening. All of this helps me get out of the past and the future that I might be complicating and overthinking on. If you hate cleaning, you could also dance instead to kind of use this strategy. Another great example is cooking or baking, depending on your preferences. We are total foodies in the Edge household. So my husband and I are always trying new recipes and cooking together. I really enjoy that cooking has a very logical aspect to it, and so does baking. There's this precision of ingredients, reading a recipe, measuring things, timing them, adding them at the right moment. There's so many numbers, and it really focuses our mind on what we're doing. It brings us, again, into the present, into what's happening now. Of course, our bodies are very engaged with the act of preparing food. We're moving around to gather ingredients and gather equipment. There are smells and textures and tastes that we're experiencing as we try our food and prepare it. And it's such a physically involving experience. We bring our bodies into the present and we become more in tune with them and what we're physically experiencing. I think that this coping skill can be taken to the next level by adding an element of creativity to it. I'm a firm believer that creativity is one of the ultimate forms of therapy. Like I mentioned in The Art of Letting Go, it 
shows us that something beautiful can come out of something difficult. It helps us to channel all of our emotions, both good and bad, and create them into something tangible. And it bridges this world between our minds and our bodies. And it's just very, it's a very beautiful way of expressing ourselves and what we're experiencing. So my husband, he really enjoys wood carving. When he comes home from a stressful day at work, he goes out to our patio and works on his wood carving projects. It wasn't expensive to get into. We bought a chisel set on Amazon for about $20. And then you can get wood. You can get wood for free a lot of places, but you can also just go to the hardware store and buy some wood pretty inexpensively. And he draws different things and carves them out. Right now, he just has one big piece of wood that he works on every day and just carves whatever he feels like carving into it. It's kind of a practice piece. And it always helps him come back in free of all of the burdens he came home from work with. I think this is a really good example of the ability of creativity to help us move past things that we could dwell on. Sometimes it's not practical to find an activity that is both physically and mentally engaging. And so there are still things that we can do in this situation. One of my favorite ways to stop overthinking and move forward with life is to write. I've always been a writer. I have kept a journal since I was five years old. I love writing poems and songs. I now have a podcast. Words are just so therapeutic and expressive to me. And so I love writing haikus, which is a type of poem with a very specific structure. It's a syllable pattern, so it's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables again, and it just repeats for as many stanzas as you would like. And I like to just start writing a haiku about what's happening about around me. Most of the time, I don't actually write them down because I forget them by the time I get to paper. But it really helps me first challenge my mind. There's so much calculating that goes into writing a haiku. You have to count syllables of words. Some words just won't fit. You have to think of synonyms to put in. If you want to rhyme, that's a whole new level to your haiku. They don't have to rhyme. I prefer them not rhyming. It's way easier to write them. But it's like, it's a word puzzle and you're doing it mentally and it's just really fun. I think it's really fun. Maybe you think that sounds stressful. I find that it's a fun challenge to my creativity and my love of words. And I try to focus when I'm writing or, you know, mentally writing on the physical world around me. So I think about what am I feeling in my body? Do I feel warm? Do I feel cold? Is there a breeze? Is there sunshine on me? Then I look around me. Do I see anything beautiful or noteworthy? Is there a sound? Is it? Can I hear the wind? Can I hear birds singing? Do I smell anything? And this brings me more physically and more into my body in the present and kind of grounds me. It's so therapeutic and I really encourage you to give it a shot. So I mentioned distractions and I do want to take a moment to point out some of the big distractions we all face. Again, 
Distractions definitely have a place as a coping skill. Sometimes we just need time. And I think that distractions are really helpful in these instances because they keep us from dwelling and festering while those really subconscious parts of ourselves are letting go. But we do need to be aware of them and and be careful to not let them take over as our main coping skill. So the first one is emotional eating. I am as guilty as anyone is of emotional eating. Eating just, it's so, it can be so relaxing and so soothing, but the relief only lasts as long as the food does. Eating only brings our bodies into the present, even if we can somehow turn off our minds while eating when we wake them back up at the end. I found that I'm pretty much always right where I started and it was just eating just served as a pause button. Another example would be screen time. So this one has the opposite effect. It brings our minds into the present but not our bodies. We become engaged with maybe the show we're watching or the video game we're playing but it can often feel afterwards like we've just left another planet. I know for myself, I will come off of a really long time looking at a screen feeling like I almost need a moment to adjust to being back in reality. Sometimes I might not notice things that have happened and I realize that in these moments I was not physically present and really my mind was probably in another universe too. I think that being aware that these things are distractions can help us put limits on them. For example, I had a heated discussion with someone a couple days ago and it just ended really poorly and I was really upset by it. And I was just really, I was hurt. I was upset about some of the things that had been said. I knew that I said some things I shouldn't have and I just wanted a brownie. And that was what I wanted to calm myself down. So I made myself a pan of brownies and knowing that this would make me feel good, but the ability it had to make me feel good was limited, helped me decide I'm only going to have two. So did I eat more than I normally would? Yes. But did I go out of control? No. Same thing with screen time in that same situation. So after I made the brownie, I told my husband, I just want to go lay in bed and we just got a Nintendo Switch. So I just want to play on the Switch and just not think because I just need time to physically calm down from this conversation I had had. And so I did. I, I came and I laid in bed and I played Switch. And honestly, I, I just felt better at the end of it because I'd had time to physically relax without working up my mind. But I also went into that knowing that the ability of the Nintendo Switch to make me feel better was limited. It can be so tempting to use both of these as our main coping skill. I think many of us have known a screen addict or someone who is just constantly emotionally eating. I've definitely been that person at different times in my life. It's a vicious cycle. It never ends because it never helps you work through what's happening. It's a distraction and distractions are limited in their ability to help us cope. The ultimate goal is to prevent and avoid overthinking. And so we need something that's going to help us 
move through the emotions quickly without festering and making them worse. Ultimately, it's best to use a more effective coping skill such as dancing and listening to music or writing a haiku. We don't have to succumb to the temptation to overthink things. No matter how inclined you think you are to do this, how difficult it sounds to stop your thoughts, you do have the power within you to do that. And you can improve your life and bring greater peace into your heart by practicing these skills and taking control of your thoughts. I love you guys. At this point, I think it's mostly my friends listening. But if you somehow found this podcast and we haven't met, thank you for listening. Embrace your beautiful gift of sensitivity and know that you are worthy of love, especially from yourself. Until next week, this is Bethany Edge. Thank you for listening to the Wild Heart Podcast.